Hey, Daryl. Yeah. Hey, Jeremy, how you doing? I'm doing well, Daryl. Good to see you again. It's been a long time. It must have been all of what, five or five hours, six hours? For sure. It wasn't long at all. It was <laughs> It was one of our weekly disc golf days today. Yeah. Yeah, it seems that way, and I'm I'm not disappointed that uh, we get out weekly to you know we try and get out weekly. Yeah, and with the weather out here, Alberta-wise, and you know being in, I guess we're in mid-November now, and yeah. normally at this point I'd expect snow on the ground, and we're still getting temperatures above zero and no snow in sight. A little bit of frost, a little bit of cold, but still yeah. great weather to be playing disc golf. Yeah, absolutely. we played this morning. It was a little bit chilly on the hands for maybe the first half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, we were lucky enough to get out this morning. Like I say, we played a local course, and uh, yeah, once it warmed up, you know, the there wasn't any uh, there wasn't any lingering frost on the ground, or discs weren't wet or anything like that. There wasn't any heavy frost, but um, yeah, like you said, warm temperatures, and uh, long may they continue. For sure, I could take this type of weather right through to spring next year that would be yeah. great for me although i do feel like we're on borrowed time like we're getting more you know these days we should i you know like you said we try and get out weekly i'm gonna try and get out after work or you know on the weekends on any time i can because as soon as we know it you know as soon as you blink there's going to be the bike stuff on the ground yes and well last week we had the time change and that kind of hurt yeah. us for afternoon or evening golf because now we're getting sunset I, I don't even know what the time is it's probably about 4 45 and it's getting dark but it did help us for yeah. the weekends or if you've got a day off in the in the week in the morning because when we i think i left the house at about 7 30 this morning and by the time i rolled in just after eight you won you were first this this week <laughs> <laughs> you gotta let me have one yeah so usually i'm the one who's uh who's late i'm always running about five ten minutes <laughs> behind and and i proved it today but when we rolled up at eight o'clock because of the time change uh you know sun was coming up we could see and we were ready to play first thing yeah yeah absolutely a little bit of a uh, little bit of practice a little bit of warm-up gloves were on for the first three two or three holes and then uh yeah warmed up good to go hand warmers in the pockets as well. It's always a good thing to have at, at, the, at the beginning of a round, whether it's fall or spring in Alberta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, my, I noticed that my shoes that I normally wear, I've been wearing them all summer. You know, as you'd expect, they're starting just to get a little bit of a, a wear where the, uh, the toe flexes in the shoe. So it's time to retire them for this summer, I think. I'm going to have to switch over to the, uh, the winter boots for the rest of the year. And do you have a, a like a waterproof winter boot that you use? Did you use one in the spring or? No, no, I would just, I was hardcore. I wore shoes all year. Didn't matter if I got my feet wet. No, I don't have anything for the winter yet. I've been uh, I have thicker winter boots, but th you know I think they'd be too hard, too heavy to wear in the snow. So I'm looking for a lighter lighter boot, but uh, still being you know kind of waterproof. Well, and I found I, I did play winter disc golf the last couple of years. And for our listeners, as they get to know us a bit, we'll we'll just throw some things out there. Like I've been playing now for two years, probably as of September. So I've had a couple of winters under my belt. And I find that winter disc golf for me, 
is not the same as summer, of course, weather and all of that. Keep yeah. that in mind. But for me, it's more just to get out there and play, to continue throwing the disc, not necessarily to get a whole lot of improvement unless it's just constantly reinforcing your form, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I was um, just going to say. Yeah. You were going to say about the form or? Yeah, no, like the winter golf, the, the the main priority of the winter golf is just to keep that muscle memory, right? You're not mm -hmm. going out there to set a course record. You're not going out there to, you know, improve your form or anything like that so much because obviously your footing, your, you know, your cold, you're wrapped up, you're bundled up. It's definitely going to be different than it is in the summer. But just to try and keep that muscle memory going through the winter so that when you come back into spring again, you don't feel uh, rusty and you don't have to dust off the cobwebs so much. Yes. And, and also too, is just doing it safely because it gets icy and slippery. So yeah. I, I'll have, um, I don't know, sometimes they're called yak tracks or ice cleats or, you know, those rubber ones with the spikes on them. I'll stretch those over yeah. my shoes. And then, you know, if there's concrete tee pads at the course I'm at, I may not even tee off off of those. I'll just step to the side because you don't want to take those on and off the whole time, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like you said, you've been playing for two years. So I've, I'm an, I'm a, I'm almost like a, a disc golf virgin. I've been uh, only playing <laughs> since March of this year. Um, had a long interest in disc golf and, and been watching it for years and years and never thought about even, uh, the thought never crossed my mind to look around my local area. Like you say, we live in Edmonton um, and surrounding areas and never even thought to look to see if there was a course in my local area. Didn't even think about um, buying any discs or anything like that. Um, and then instead of taking up ball golf, which is what my goal was this year, I decided to, to search up disc golf and lo and behold, we have several good courses around our area and you know, that's how we met. We met out on the, on the disc golf course and the rest is history. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because you've mentioned that a couple of times and we've never talked about it. So, um, how is it that you came across disc golf and you were watching disc golf, but yet it didn't even cross your, first of all, how'd you come around to yeah. it? And then why didn't it cross your mind or did it cross your mind and you just never actioned it to play or. Yeah, it, it was just a random event. I it just popped up on YouTube. It was this okay. thing and it, it was, a, it was an older event. I, like I said, I've been watching it for about seven or eight years so I don't even think the Pro Tour was going back then. Like, I didn't know too much about the Pro Tour. I didn't look into it. It was just Probably some random national video. tour then, I think, maybe. Maybe something like that, yeah. But yeah. Um, it would have been an old old video with two commentators that I don't remember their names. I, I don't remember anything about it. I remember watching, you know, I think it was an old event. It wasn't even... And it wasn't even a, um, a recent event at the time. I think when I watched it right. seven years ago, it was an older event from maybe 10 years, pro you know, 10 years ago. So oh. it, it was probably somebody like Climo or yeah. Jenkins or things like, yeah, Shoestrick. Some, some one of those, it was just some random guys throwing this Frisbee. And the thing that got me hooked was watching them play in the woods. And I just couldn't get over the fact that they could throw this disc through the woods and not hit a tree and find the line through these trees and make it land where they wanted it to land. Like that was just mind blowing to me. And, um, I was just hooked after that. And then I well, started I could... watching more and more videos. And then, then I got into the Jomez, 
you know, so Jomez was around when I started watching, whether they were new or whether they had, had been around for a while, but I started watching some of their content. And then they were putting out monthly or weekly videos, depending on, you know, what course, because they weren't covering every event back then. Right. Um, and then, yeah, just got hooked onto the sport. But I thought it was an American sport. I didn't think, you know, we, there was obviously, because it was, there was no Canadian coverage of any events back then. Um, I vague, I don't even think in the beginning, I, you know, I didn't even know of any Canadian disc golfers. It was all just Americans. And I thought it was like a college game or some game that only happened down in California because that's where I was watching. Right. Um, and yeah, just, you know, then since I've been watching it, obviously I know there's some Canadian professionals and all that, but they play down in America, but I figured they must have got into it somehow. Um, and then, yeah, just decided, well, I'll, I'll search for it. I'll Google it to see how far I have to drive to get to the local course. <laughs> but what's the nearest course to me thinking it was going to be three or four hours away. And then lo and behold, you know, we have uh, the Edgar, the Edmonton Disc Golf Association. We have probably at least 13, you know, differing levels of courses in this area. We have two good courses. We have the Edmonton Open. We have the River City Cup. We have different tournaments that are in this area. And the wider range, you know, in within Alberta, which is kind of where we're, you know, our, we're mainly focused on our interest. Yeah, you know, there's there's quite quite a few different courses and quite a few different tournaments. No, that that's all good that way. And you know, for me, I moved from Ontario to Alberta when I was 15 in '93. So we can take a quick pause and people can do the math if they want. But I can help them. I'm in my <laughs> mid 40s. <laughs> we and, both are. Uh, we both are. Yes, there you go. So if you're just hearing our beautiful voices and thinking we were 21 years old, we've now. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately ruined that for you but uh no when i moved out here i didn't know anything about disc golf uh and then i think it was kind of 99 i went out to vancouver to visit a buddy and he took me out on a disc golf course and we played around i have vague memories of it and it wasn't raptors knoll or anything like that it was a park course so it wasn't i'm sure if yeah. it was somewhere there it might have grabbed me more but we played i enjoyed it but it didn't it didn't sit with me. So that was kind of my early twenties and, and there was nothing there for me. I think somewhere along the lines between then and 45, I was aware that there was a course at Rundle park. Um, right. But then it wasn't until I live uh, North of the city in, in kind of a suburb area. And when we got a park course here where a local guy had got permission from the city to put buckets in trees. So he took orange <laughs> home Depot buckets and hung nine of yeah. them in trees put wow. uh, little chloroplast signs on wire um, mesh holders and created a course. And I saw that my wife and I were walking with our Starbucks and, and walking around the city. And we saw this and <laughs> didn't, didn't pay much more attention, kind of figured out that it was a disc golf setup, but you know, not much of one when it was buckets from trees, but that little setup there was yeah. enough to get interest and then get some funds from the city to purchase nine baskets. So then nine baskets went in the ground. And the next time after those were out there, I said, you know, why don't we give this a try? And we brought some Frisbees from home. And this might be a common story with a lot of people, but we took just regular old Frisbees, threw them around the course and did that for a few weeks. And then I really wanted to try the actual discs. So we got some yeah. of those ordered up and, and along we go. And now two years later, I've been hooked and I try to play 
as many times as I can, sitting with a 33-week U-disc streak and don't want that to end either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shout out to that guy with the buckets. Yeah, that was it. That guy's, uh, you know, we'll talk about names and people in the area. So if you know them, that's great. If not, we'll introduce you to them through the podcast. But uh, Nick Legault and his backyard actually backs onto this course. And right. yeah, thanks to him. Not only did he get that nine hole course with baskets uh, to be a temporary, but kind of a still testing to be permanent temporary course, but he actually got an 18 hole course built in our city as well. So for, you know, 65,000 person population, we now have one nine hole course that's semi-permanent. And then we have an 18 hole course that is spring, summer, and fall, and then taken out in the winter because there's uh, cross country skiers in the area. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and, and the one thing too, I was thinking about that when we're talking is when I learned more, was that Rundle Park, one of the courses we both played here out in Edmonton, it's yeah. one of the older courses around in that I, I think disc golf, it, the official start year, I don't know what it is, but I, I believe it's in the 70s or late 70s or somewhere around mm-hmm. there. Somewhere around there, yeah. yeah. And I think um, Rundle, we'd have to look, we could check that another time, but I think it was 83 yep. or 84 it was established. So it's been around right from the beginning. Yeah, I was amazed to hear that as well. Like, I don't know too many details. I don't know who created. I'm not too, I'm not very good with names. So, I mean, if you told me the name of the guy that was one of the first ambassadors for disc golf in this area, I would remember because I know I have heard it. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll bring those names, you know, in future episodes. And maybe when, if we ever, you know, look at that course and maybe we we detail in a bit more on the history of disc golf in Alberta or even in the Edmonton region, We'll cover his name and we'll uh, do some research on him. But yeah, it's amazing that it's been around for so long. Like I, I never normally went to to Rundle Park just for to use any of the other amenities there. So I've never seen the baskets around. I've never been to any of the other parks where they're located. But just to think that disc golf has been in Edmonton in some shape or another for that, you know, we're, if you say around about 83, you know, we're looking at 40 years. Yes. That disc golf has been in Edmonton. And I just picked it up in the last year to actually and then go out two and years. play it. Yeah, <laughs> and I that's know, crazy. And we both know that COVID was a big um, stimulant, I guess you could say, if that's the right word, to get more interest back into disc definitely golf. A, yeah, definitely a boom in, uh, in uh, uptake on the disc golf scene. Yeah, for sure. And that was even, you know, to be now over 250,000 registered PDGA members out there too, right? Like that was a big deal. It was probably, I think, 2019 and they weren't even halfway to that at that point. And that's how how much it grew yeah. in that short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And we're both, uh, we're both part of that group. Well, and then bringing us together, Daryl, just to let our listeners know, or hopefully our listeners that'll be joining us over the weeks as we continue to put together these podcasts was... Yeah. You've got a bit of a content creation background already, and I've had an interest in wanting to do podcasts, and you know I've done commentating of volleyball games and and different things like that, and I just have a gift for gab in my own words, and probably a <laughs> lot of people around me would tell you. So I thought, yeah. take this love of disc golf, and when you and I connected, and 
you know, we both had that similar interest. We thought we'd start this podcast, but, um, you know, for the listeners there, tell them a little bit about your content background and your, maybe some of the other things you've got going on. Well, I think you're a little bit over generous to say that I have a background in uh, content creation. Um, yeah. So I've tried to start a few YouTube channels over the time of different interests of, that I've had. Um, but once I found, you know, I've edited videos like home movies and things like that. I've, you know, not just your birthday party, you know, movies type of thing. Like I've actually gone out and created movies and things like that and, and edited them to into some sort of final product that's, that's barely passable, watchable. Um, oh, but I always, <laughs> I always like the, um, the idea of creating a, a, a YouTube channel or Instagram or, you know, any, some sort of social creation, um, to follow a journey. And I, I figured, you know what, I'm, I'm starting out on disc golf. I'm an absolute beginner. You know, there are other established, uh, YouTube channels out there of people that, you know, will tell you, will critique your form and tell you the best way to throw 500 feet and things like that. But there wasn't a lot out there that I could find for, um, beginner disc golfers by beginner disc golfers. There's a, there, right. you find a lot of established golf, uh, disc golfers that'll, um, tell you how to play, but they're, they're tell they're instructing you and their, and their journey, obviously their videos are all from a guy that's been playing or 10 or 15 years. So yeah, I created, um, DJ disc golf. If you want to look me up on Instagram or, uh, on YouTube and you know, it's basically, I wouldn't even say, like you said, uh, you're very generous to say that I have a content creator kind of, um, background because I don't post that often. I find it hard to get the content and create the content and edit the video and get it out. So there aren't that many videos out there, but, um, yeah, starting from my first, um, my first round and my first discs that I got and trying to, you know, get used to the discs and what they do and the difference between drivers and mid ranges and powders and things like that. And, and then, yeah, we met, like you said, we met on the course one day. I think you were ahead of me. I was catching you up as we were going around and I asked if you wanted to, you know, team up for the rest of the round. And that was that we, we got talking and we shared, uh, you know, common interest, you know, sort of thing. We exchanged numbers if you ever wanted to go out again. And there you go. That's right. Well, and I would tell you, you know, you're, you're kind of underplaying your content creation, but remember I'm a guy who presses record and then presses stop, maybe puts <laughs> the movie in slow mo. And that's what I have, but you've got, like you said, you've done some editing, you're able to add the music and that. And every time I see a video you put up, it just gets a little bit better each time. So another part of our journey, as we start a podcast and we learn some of these skills about content creation, but uh, yeah. yeah, you know, as you said, meeting, I'll tell you from my experience so far in disc golf is I found a couple of things. I found that there's a lot of unique individuals who play disc golf, you know, super serious. And then to guys who are laid back and have a beverage in their hand and something else yeah. in their other hand and just, just out <laughs> there to have a good time. Right. Yeah. Uh, but every person I've met, you know, or 99% of the people that I've met, have all been good people. And, you know, this friendship that you and I have established is is an example of it because we have that shared interest. And then we found out that we've got a lot of other common interests. And, and I don't know, 
in what other fashion we would have ever come across each other's paths, but playing around a disc golf together was a great icebreaker. And here we are today trying to do a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think outside of disc golf, I wouldn't have hung around you. No, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Ouch. And I guess I, <laughs> no, that it, it, like you said, it brings together that we've, we've had different conversations about different things about disc golf you know, Canadian disc golf, we've had discussions about tournaments and we've had discussions about everything. And then, uh, yeah, one day we were out on a practice round and you kind of, I wouldn't say you pulled me to the side, but, you know, as we were walking up the fairway, you, you shared this, you were quite tentative to, uh, from what <laughs> I remember, you were quite tentative to talk to me. So um, I, ha I have this idea that, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of podcasts out there um, based on the American disc golf and, you know, they're tailored to the PGA tour, uh, PDGA tour. And, uh, you know, but, uh, there's not anything out there that I can think of, uh, that's really tailored to the Canadian market. And, uh, you know, with your content creation and, you know, you like to make YouTube videos and I was wondering, do you, uh... <laughs> yeah, sounds, sounds about right yeah. with me on that one there for sure. And, and, and that's what I thought with this is that, you know, we, we've played with a couple of different variations of this podcast. We, we thought we would make it really <laughs> structured and be very specific with specific segments all the time. And that seemed to maybe trap us into a box or we said we'll really focus on Canadian. And I think for us is that we live in Alberta. We want to talk about Canadian parts about disc golf when it's relevant. But yeah. let's talk about things for people in the Alberta area in Western Canada. If we happen to travel and get to a course, we can chat about that. You know, I thought maybe over these weeks and, and hopefully years and months, we can talk about even just local players, whether they play FPO or MPO locally, you know, things that we don't hear on other podcasts, but to people in our area, I'm sure there's an interest. And yeah. And you don't know, they could be the next Thomas Gilbert or they could be the next Chantel Badinsky, that type of thing. But let's talk about them now um, so that yeah. people will know more about them. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said about that, we I mean, the, the goal is and the dream is to have a Canadian podcast, you know, something that represents Canada uh, disc golf, just because everything out there seems to be American and and, and concentrated around that. And that's the goal for us. I think that would be the dream is that we could we could cover it, you know, Canada wide. But like you said, after we did those the few iterations of the podcast to start with, it it felt I would, I don't want to say disingenuous, but it, it did feel like we were talking about things that maybe we didn't have firsthand knowledge of. You know, right. we were covering certain topics that we were just trying to search the internet and find the information just to to cover it for content. But I think the way that we're going to go now and the way that this podcast may or may not shape up in the future is that we're just going to talk to our experience. We're just going to talk. Basically, we're going to be two guys that love disc golf, that have Canadian backgrounds, and that we can talk about what's relevant to us. And then hopefully other people find it interesting and and who knows where it's going to go from there. Yes. And, you know, and the things that we already saw and when we were looking at those iterations is this past year there's a Canadian disc golf tour. So that yeah. was brand new this year, had nine events and not something that you could talk about every week because there just isn't enough. 
there is um, video coverage of those events, but there's it's a post-produced product by a company yeah. called Park Pro. And, you know, they I think it's two guys and they've got a lot on their plate. So their videos don't come out next day like Jomez. So it's not something that we could really report on that way. But there are instances like this year I traveled out to Kamloops for the Tournament Capital Open, which ended up being the first tournament of that uh, Canadian Disc Golf Tour. And I didn't even yeah. know that was a thing at the time, but I was there. And if we are at events like that, then we're going to bring that in. Or if we hear some news or we happen to be flipping through something, catch it on social media, then then we'll bring it up. We might even be regurgitating a little information we hear on how many podcasts do you think you and I listen to about disc golf? We listen to all the big ones, I think, right? I, th I think between us, I think we probably listen to all of them. Yeah, whether it's Tour Life or Grip Locked or Upshot or you name it. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's yeah. why and we've I, got Chain Out as our name to kind of fall in and fit well with the rest of them, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, one of the things we could talk about, too, is just kind of I thought for the podcast was let's talk about the courses that we've played, maybe hit up on one weekly if we've got one to talk about and just kind of put it out there to say hey here's a course in Edmonton area or wherever we've played it if you look it up on UDisc you're going to get reviews you're going to get some basic things but if we've played it maybe we can give a little bit of a different perspective and some thoughts and I also think would be kind of cool just for me is I played overall 24 25 courses I think across Canada um, mostly in the Alberta area, but I want to start yeah. talking about them. And as we do, when we're done, let's maybe start a top five list and, you know, this week's week one. So, this will be the first course on the list and we'll see if it holds up over, over the weeks and over the future reviews as well. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I think you've got a few more courses than I've, uh, I've, I've played. I've never played outside of, uh, Alberta, but hopefully that changes in the coming future. Um, you know, the more we've we've definitely got plans to play a few more tournaments next year, and whether that takes us out of Alberta or even if it takes us out of the Edmonton area, you know, we're going to have more course reviews, and I can probably guarantee that if I'm playing the tournament, then you're going to be playing it as well. We're probably going to be <laughs> working together to find out which tournaments we want to go and play. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, like I said, start with what we know, right? So well, well now we, sorry, we play we the local. Yeah, before you go there, I want to say the one thing you're going to find that I found in this past two years is um, before when I would travel, I would be looking for the cheapest plane ticket I could get. And I'd be putting mm -hmm. my stuff and everything in like a laptop bag to try and get the free carry on um, <laughs> option so I didn't have to pay any extra for luggage. But now I'm putting a checked bag under the plane so I could stuff as many <laughs> discs in it as possible because I know before I get on that plane that I'm going to play two, three courses if I can squeeze it in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we talked before about whether we uh, drive to, to courses and tournaments outside of the Alberta area or whether we uh, – I know you were lucky enough to have some banked air miles or, uh, yes. you know um, – not yeah, air miles with the uh, the airline that you were with there. So yeah, whether it's taking the extra uh, disc with us on the plane, or whether we uh, group together and chip in for gas and go on a long road trip for ten or fifteen hours, or whatever it might be. But 
the the goal is to play a few more tournaments next year um, and get out of the Edmonton area for sure. That's right. Well, and the other thing too with both of us is that we have really gotten into the idea of playing tournaments and what does that turn into now i don't think either of us have any goals of joining the mpo <laughs> tour <laughs> down in the u.s and even if we did that's a, a pretty far reach but at the same time you know there's opportunities to go to um you know am masters worlds or something like that like one of those events yeah. that is a big event for our age group for our skill level and we have an opportunity to get there. So I think next year when we, you know, we've even talked about this a little bit already that we may look at some A tier tournaments, try and get a little bit more points, set a points goal for us for amateur points that we want to want to achieve. And we've still yeah. both got a few more years in MA40. So we'll we'll start competing there. And maybe by the time we get to 50, we'll we'll be right up at the top <laughs> if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious to know because this has been my first season playing disc golf and I, I didn't join the league. I didn't enter any tournaments and things like that because I figured it's my first year. I don't know anything about disc golf. I'm still a beginner. But after I met you and you mentioned that you were playing the Battle 6 tournament in Metaskawin just outside of Edmondson, that, oh, maybe you should have a look to see if there's any spots. And I looked and there was a spot and I signed up, not knowing what I was going into. But in my first year, I signed up for a tournament and it was one of the best decisions that you made me do. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to say you made me do it, but do. you encouraged me to do it. Yeah. Um, like I would never, if it was on my own, I never would have thought that I would be good enough to get into a tournament. And I, you know, I think that's a relative term to say you're good enough because I think in our age division, and we were lucky enough in, in our uh, MA40 division that we were in, aside from the top three, you know, anyone lower than the top three, we were all out there having fun and we were just, you know, enjoying a, a competitive round of disc golf over two days, three rounds of disc golf. And it was, there was no pressure. There was no worrying about, oh, you shouldn't be playing. What are you doing? You're wasting our time sort of thing. It was just, you know, guys of a certain age enjoying disc golf, getting to know each other. So I'm glad that I did it. Um, but, and I'm glad that I met you because you kind of, hurried me along into that to get into that point where after I finished that tournament, I was already looking at, okay, what's next? What else can I sign up for? But obviously coming towards the end of the year, most of those tournaments were already full and you had already signed up for one that were, you know, uh, maxed out on capacity months in, in advance. Right. Um, yeah. But I'm curious though. Um, and like we've talked about next year, we're kind of like, we're already thinking, okay, which tournaments can we hit? We want to hit this one. We want to hit that one. We want to play that course. We have more of a focused goal on, on tournament play and uh, maximizing our time throughout the season. Right. What made you like, what was your first year? Like, Did, were you ever at that point? Cause it seems like this year you've hit a few more, you've hit a few more tournaments and kind of taking it a bit more seriously. Yeah, I think for me, what it was, was it was a bit of a slow burn that first year. And it was just a matter of getting out and trying to learn the game and see what I could do. But um, I don't know that it seems like with some hobbies, and I can tell you over 10 years ago, I used to run marathons. And I, and I don't anymore. So don't judge my body at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but in those days, what would happen is I would enter races. 
And maybe it's one of the things about running, it can be addictive. You can get kind of an adrenaline rush from it. And part yeah. of that can happen in a race. But just like disc golf, entering a tournament, you anybody can enter any race. You just put up your money and you go in and you're not expecting to win the race. Not usually right. not, you know, yeah. you're just going there and usually trying to beat a personal best. And I already had that experience and that feeling from doing that for five years. So after putting a year of practice into disc golf and then kind of learning the lay of the land and understanding what was out there, you know, I joined putting league in the winter. Um, I joined a indoor uh, clinic that the Edmonton Disc Golf Association put on. And then during that putting league, I met our friend Mark. Um, that's now our mutual right. friend. And the two of us, he said, hey, I'm thinking of going in this tournament, this Tundra Toss tournament in the in February, March. Did you want to come into it? So we both went into that tournament and that was just a one day, two rounder, but kind of like running your first race. As soon as you do it, you might love it. You might hate it. But as you said, as soon as it's done, you're trying to find out when the next one is. And that was yeah. <laughs> that was how it happened to me with disc golf was as soon as you do that first tournament, as long as it's a good experience, you're you're thrilling and and can't wait to find the next one right so yeah that's what got me there yeah yeah and 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 i think it was too is that Kamloops tournament that i went out to um to visit my friend i I made it kind of a double trip and then play that one and then i found out there were pros there and that introduced me more to the disc golf network and to the pdga you know i had to get my membership of course to play in the tournaments and yeah. um but then that just opened that whole world to me and and since then it's just been a, a great ride yeah yeah and like you said yeah we you know you introduced me to mark he was a a friend that you had met through putting league as you said in the winter and uh yeah i've i uh he's become our mutual friend and i've gone out with him a few times on our own and then, you know, sometimes we're lucky enough to get all three out together and we schedule a day and, you know, those are the uh, the good rounds. That's right. And, you know, Mark coming from a lot of, as a lot of people who are in disc golf, I'm finding as well, they have an ultimate background. And you see that, say, with Brody Smith on the Pro Tour and Ella Hansen yeah. as well, I believe. And so it seems they have a little bit easier transition than a guy who maybe has just thrown a Frisbee at the beach like myself but <laughs> right yeah uh, yeah i never had any frisbee you know background so uh i mean maybe that's a good thing coming in fresh and and just learning how to throw uh you know a frizz um a disc as opposed to a frisbee yes and i think too that probably makes us more malleable in the learning process and that's been you know you've got the power disc yeah. golf academy you're part of that and so when you watch those yeah. lessons by Yuli or by Simon, you know, you're more receptive to that. And I think Mark's even told us before is that he knows he would like to change his form. He's got a yeah. form that is working for him right now, but because of his ultimate background, it doesn't look anything, not, I shouldn't say that, not that it doesn't look anything, but it looks different than the traditional disc yeah. golf form but yet he outplays us all the time. So it works for him and it's probably harder for him to change. Whereas for us, we'll, we'll listen to anything if it's a chance at making us better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely got a unique style, um, a unique uh, form style. He's definitely not anything that you would 
you know, you've got your cookie cutter molds that most people kind of fall into. You know, he almost, I don't want to say that he looks like it. If I were to compare his form to anybody, I wouldn't really compare his form to anybody, but the way that it stands out is almost like a Sarah Hokum. Like right. the way that she does her fore, forehand throws, like she gets down low and she's got a unique style. Like it's that removed for me, watching me and you throw. Ours is kind of the the normal, if you want to say, quote unquote, normal form. Well, we're attempting throw. to be the normal throw. Yeah, we're attempting. Yeah. But you look at the way he throws. And like you said, with his ultimate background, it's a different kind of throw. It's, it's kind of a hybrid, I would say. But it works for him, like you said. And like you, he consistently... You know, I think maybe we've come close. I think you've beat him once. but Yeah, he was having a bad were... day. But on a good day, we have a lot of trouble catching up to yeah. him. Yeah, and maybe that's, the... better, maybe that's better for us because, you know, we've got that dangling carrot that we're always, uh, we're always chasing. So we're constantly trying to improve. Just yeah, to try and, and I think beat, that, yeah. that's a good point too, right? Is that as you get out there and you meet people, like anything else is try to play with people that are better than you um, for that purpose of giving you something to strive for. And, and Mark, it does dangle that carrot because we'll think we'll get close. We'll be within a stroke <laughs> or two of him and he almost feeds off the competition. And as soon as he yeah. knows we're getting close, then it's like a birdie putt you never expected, but he drains <laughs> it. And, and then you, you miss him by two or three strokes. Yeah, he says he doesn't do it, but every time it, it seems to be it's too it's too consistent that we we get to like hole 16, 17 and we're within one stroke of him, you know, maybe 14, 15. We're thinking, OK, I've got him on the ropes. I just need to play the way that I've been playing. I can see that he's having a bad game. He's missing those putts. I've got him. And then out of no nowhere, he'll start draining the 20, 30 foot putts and or, you know, just long bombing it right down and. I know I played with him recently at, at Rundle, and I think it was maybe hole 13 or 12 or 13 when he had his first putt over 10 feet. Like everything right. else was under the basket and they were all just dropping, tapping, uh, you know, per birdie putts or par putts, whatever it was. Like he never had to make a putt over 10 feet. Yeah, I've heard him say, he's like, I don't have to putt if I can park it under the basket. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. You know, that's what I said to him. I'm like, well, at least I'm getting the practice of making my 10, 15, 20 foot putts. You don't have that chance to practice. That's but right. Then again, it's a good position to be in. I'd rather not have to practice putting and be everything under the basket as well. But <laughs> For sure. Well, and I don't know, Daryl, if it's podcast etiquette or not. I'm sure we're going to learn all these things. But now that we've talked about Mark, we have to be able to... Uh, let him be on the podcast at some point if he wants to, especially if he disagrees with any of the things we happen <laughs> to say about him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Get him on here, get his take on things and he can disagree. He can say that, you know, his form is the best form and, and we're all look awkward to him or, you know, that he doesn't uh, play with us, but I have a feeling that he does. Yes, for sure. Well, we kind of got a little bit off there, but I thought we were talking about courses maybe the first course we talk about is the one that's kind of closest to you in town. And that is the Hills and the Hills is named as the disc golf course, but it's also the neighborhood down there, right? Yeah. The, the, the Hills is uh, um, the actual neighborhood, I believe is the Hills at Chatsworth. Okay. Um, that's the, the subdivision area that it's uh, so it's a, it's a park course. 
Um, it's a nine-hole course. It's in a residential area, but it's, um, you know, it's not bang smack in the middle of, of, of houses. There, It's a park area. There is um, playground and there's an allotment and uh, community allotment there, things like that. But uh, it's a nine-hole, but 18-hole layout. Tee pads, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's pads. Yeah, yeah. Nine baskets, 18 tee pads. Um, it's one of the easier courses, I would say, you know, it's a good starter beginner, um, uh, course for someone to, if you're just looking to get into to disc golf, um, that's probably one of the, the ones that I would recommend. And I didn't hit it until late on in my career. I started up my, uh, my career. I'm, I'm saying this <laughs> like I'm a, <laughs> a 20 Look year at veteran, you, pro. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, in my disc golf journey, um, you know, I looked it up and, and figured out that uh, Rundle was the, the better course in, you know, one of the better courses at the time. I mean, that's arguable, argue, arguable, yeah, arguably, arguable now, I would arguable think, with more at experience, this point. but and in recent changes where other courses, you know, a course has come up to probably maybe even overtake it in regards to the amenities and, and the layout and, and things like that. But um, yeah, I never played it. For, I never played the hills for quite a while I only played it recently um but now it's yeah it's only 10 or 15 minutes away from where I live um if I need to just get out after work or if I've got a quick half an hour 45 minutes and I want to do a quick nine holes it's definitely something that I can you know you're not going to be breaking out your distance drivers or anything like that it's you're going to be using your your putters or a couple of mid-ranges on a few holes but, you know, that's part of the game that you want to work on, right? You want to work on your approach shots. You want to work on your putting. And uh, it's, it's, you know, a good layout. Um, can be tricky. Some holes can be a little bit, you know, tricky in the wind. Or it's, they're, not, they're not completely flat. So you're not playing in a, in a wide open, you know, baseball um, or a soccer field or anything like that. Uh, no, I think with that just, one... Like, uh... Yeah, like with Hills, because it's got that name, the Hills, part of it was from when I've been out there, it looks like they took a plot of land that they, when they were constructing the neighborhood, knew it was going to be a park, but then they piled the dirt to be more of a hilly looking area. So it does have uh, mounds and undulations that are now yeah. covered in grass and trees have been planted and that kind of thing. And uh, one section there, that's probably the biggest thing you have to worry about for the most part is one, a path running around part of the outside of the course. And then two, there's like a little flat area in the center where the kids tend to play soccer, at least the times that I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think the, the path, you know, it only really affects hole one and hole 18. I think the rest of the, the holes are kind of, you know, they're away from the path area. Um, there's, there's a sidewalk, and on certain holes, um, the fences, the people's backyards from the houses back onto the onto the field, onto the um, course. And I think you had mentioned that the course had changed from its first iteration. A couple of holes, they had to move the baskets just because of some uh, incidents with discs and people's backyards and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so they've altered the course from what it was originally. But yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I think it's a, a good little starter course for anyone to... And I've taken a, a friend of mine who's just starting to get into disc golf. Um, I took him there. So it's it's great for him to, to work on his approach shots. 
Yeah, and as you said, I think with our the experience that we have or the more that we are playing um, disc golf and, and getting out there, you know, multiple times a week if we can, if time permits, is that if you're at that level that we're at, then that's a place where you bring out your putters, you bring out your mids, you might need one fairway driver, at least I know I do, and that's for hole one. And uh-huh. then I I like a, I, I have a forehand and a backhand, so I like a nice forehand disc for hole nine. But then everything in between those two holes from two to eight, you're, you can get by with mids and, and putters even in most cases. So as you said, it's a nice kind of practice your short game because for us as beginner disc golfers, um, our drives may be okay, but when we're 50, 100, 110 feet out from the basket, it's that short game that we need to put ourselves in a position where we have a, a good look at that putt for par or maybe a birdie if it's a par four. Yeah, and I've said the same thing to our buddy Mark, who is, you know, he kind of outdrives us most of the time because he has effortless power that seems to just come from his technique that he can outdrive us. And I've said to him, it's okay if you outdrive us. If I'm 10, 15 feet, 20 feet behind you, it really depends on the upshot because I can get it near the basket just the same as you can get it near the basket. And then we're kind of on a level playing field. So the drive is good. If you can, you know, extend it to that 400, 450 range, I guess. But for most most of us with our arm and our speed and our uh, technique, we're all kind of landing in that same range anyway. So where the, the strokes are won and lost is that approach shot and the, and the putting, right? So it's mm-hmm. definitely a good course for us to work on. And it, it's a good beginner course for someone who's just getting into disc golf. But like you said, for us to want to just practice those up shots and want to practice the uh, the putting it's definitely good to uh, keep keep your hand in that as well well and i don't want anybody to get mistaken when you mentioned 400 450 foot drives that we'd all love to have it's not required for this course right like i think maybe no. 300 feet at most maybe is what hole one or 315 i think it says that's what it says on udisc whether it actually plays that way i'm not sure right but yeah, there's nothing that's going to be that that far. But as you mentioned, right, there's the two sets of tee pads. So you can, t- there is a layout on UDisc where you can play 18 holes, where you play nine from the one tee pad and then play nine from the other tee pad. But even with that, I wouldn't, you know, they call them reds and blues, but for the most part, it's hard to say one's really more difficult than the other, even if it's further. It might be in some cases. 10 feet further but it's usually like one yeah. tee pads to the left the other tee pads to the right just giving you a different look at the basket but the other nice thing too i like about the course because we have some other courses that we'll talk about um where maybe their amenities are not as great but this one does have some nice playable baskets these aren't old rusty baskets they i yeah. i think they're disc catcher pros maybe or something like that and something and that's like that, a nice yeah. thing about it so, you know, they've got a good, they've got good signage. There's the good layout on UDisc. So tips and tricks, there's, there's not a whole lot for me to say. I think, you know, a lot, sometimes I like to talk about when I'm talking about courses, I'm like, what's the ace hole? Is there a chance that we might be able to get an ace and what hole would that be on? Yeah. When you talk about the hills, I would say if it's not one and it's not nine, maybe not five, I think, but otherwise you've probably got a handful that, 
there's an opportunity for an ace. There's an opportunity for a lot of things to happen. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those two, like, you know, like you said, one, nine, five, everything else is well within, you know, if you're landing under the basket, which you should be, because we're we're throwing putters on most of the holes anyway. If you're landing under the basket, you've always got the chance that uh, you can drop the ace, right? Yeah. Well, that the other thing, too, that I'll say, because there's been some close calls, and, and one of the things about disc golf as being newer to some areas and, and kind of the growth of it and getting bigger with some of these courses is that a lot of people will walk by, who have never heard of disc golf, will walk by yeah. a basket and have no clue what it is. So I would say I've noticed that at the hills sometimes, like you said, with hole number nine, is there's a lot of kids in that in the area and you just have to watch when you're throwing. Sometimes you got to wait a little longer because you can have uh, close calls or or whatever else with it. So it's just be cautious about that at this course, maybe more than some of the other courses in town. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's the thing when people are on the course and they're and they're walking over. It's a community course, right? They're, like I said, there's a park area, there's a playground for kids, there's other amenities there that people can. Uh, congregate and 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 walk around or be in that area but if people are you know happen to uh, decide that they want to cut across the the open field as they see it and uh you know when they're walking and they're looking at a basket that's what their their focus is on right they're not looking back up the fairway they don't realize that there's a tee pad that that's what you're aiming at so they they're they're looking at the basket not knowing why it's there or, or you know who's approaching it or from what direction right so definitely be aware and i would say i think all but one hole um the basket is visible from the teapad so you, you can see the fairway and you can see the basket so you can tell if there's anybody in that area there is one where it's a blind shot over the crest of a hill um but even you know just take a few seconds to run up to the top of the hill because you want to make sure that there's nobody in front of you that they're uh, still putting as well, right? So you always want to check to make sure that the, the coast is clear. But on the hills, really, like you said, the path area on nine, you want to make sure that there's, you know, make sure you know where your drive is going to land so that you don't end up uh, um, injuring anybody. Yeah, and also, too, I think while we're talking about we should probably mention that tee shot on hole one because that basket is up on a on a ridge. It's uh, You can see it. you got to walk forward a little bit to see it if you've never played there before from mm -hmm. the tee pads. But when we were talking about that kind of flat area that the kids play soccer in, it's to the right of that hill. And what do a lot of right-hand, backhand players throw? Well, we kind of throw to the right in the – disc will curve back in or will fade back yeah. to the left. But if you happen to turn your disc over, you're going to go in that field over there. And yeah. um, so it's almost like if you throw your disc and it's not straight on line on that hill, just yell four or yell look yeah. out or yell something. Because even if you yell four, some of these people may not even know what, what you mean by it. But I think what I found at least looking there when we've seen discs in that area is it seems like the kids that are playing out there are very familiar that discs are going to come flying over that hill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the that's the good point you make there is that hole one, the tee pad, is not visible from that kind of soccer area. So they don't know that you're lining up. They don't know that you're on the tee pad waiting to throw. And, you know, kids will be kids, right? You're invested in a game of soccer. You're more 
you know, your focus is down looking at your feet, looking at the ball. So you're not looking up to the sky to suddenly realize this uh, big plastic um, disc is coming out of the sky that could uh, cause some injuries. But yeah, not everybody uh, plays disc golf or, or regular ball golf. So shouting four doesn't necessarily mean something to everybody, right? So four, watch out, look up. Incoming anything to give them a heads up. Incoming, yeah. Anything to give them a heads up. Yeah. Well, I think that's good on the hills. The one thing I kind of want to bring up, I want to put a little feather in your cap when we were looking there, is you just mm. likes to put the best rounds in the last 30 days. And when we were looking, yeah. I think uh, you may have what? Out of all the players who have played, like some people have multiple rounds, so they show up on the list uh, multiple times. But you have the fourth highest round in the last 30 days is that where you're sitting or i guess fourth lowest score best round that's what it says on you disc yeah yeah and like you well, said there may be other people with multiple better rounds than me but individual persons taking their best round at the moment i'm currently fourth yes well good on that congratulations <laughs> And I, the one thing um, which people are going to find out over these weeks as we talk more about it, but I've really taken an interest in UDISC's round rating that they've added in the last, what has it been, maybe three weeks or so? Yeah. So to me, I've kind of found, and I've found it's changing more the more rounds we play, the more data that UDISC is processing. Yeah, can I just say that probably you've taken more interest in it or you, you kind of have, have been bringing the subject up more and more between in our little group chat is because you have more knowledge on it. We know that there's a round rating, but we didn't really know what it was or what it meant or, you know, these, these numbers were showing up beside the rounds. But what did it mean? 200, 185, 160, 130, whatever it may be. It didn't mean anything to us because we didn't know anything about it. But you listened to the podcast, you did some research, you've got the information, and you were able to explain it to me, um, and it made sense. So I'll I'll let you carry on from there. Yes, and I guess to anybody who is listening, if you're still trying to figure out what the round ratings mean and and if there's any thing to be interested in them hopefully i can give some insight as we talk about it here but if you listen to terry miller and johnny v's podcast Smashbox, i think it's episode 477 or 478 it was recent they had the guys from udisc on and they talked a whole lot about what the round ratings are but from my understanding each course gets rated by the amount of um, users who play that course. And it's taking into consideration all of those scores from all of those players, probably putting them on some sort of standard deviation curve, and then putting them on a round rating scale from zero to 300. And the way they summarize it is that if you're a beginner golfer, 100 is a good score that you should be trying to achieve. If you're more of an amateur like Daryl and I, then you want to be trying to hit 200 is a good score. And then if you are trying to think you're a pro or you're up at that level, then you're trying to get 300. But because the round rating is unique to the course, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean every course has a 300 score available on it. If it's an easy course like the Hills, there is probably 
you'd have to hole in one every single hole before you would even come close to a 300 rated round. Um, but the reason I bring all of that up, and I don't want to go in depth on that now, we could talk about it more at another time, is I was excited because you posted, was it a minus nine on 18 holes? At, at the, the hills, yeah, minus yes. nine, yeah. And then that was rated 202? 202, yeah. Yeah, so I think both of us now have put a 200 rating under our belts, but um, <laughs> it feels kind of good. But I've been finding that my ratings tend to be more around the 165 to 175 range right now and trying to push for higher than that. Yeah, and that was the thing that was confusing to me was that you, you you play a course and you play it at a plus three and you get a 160. You play another course at minus nine and you might get a 180. Or you might play another course and you might hit plus 12 and you get a 185. So the numbers weren't lining up with the, res the scores that in my mind when before you explained it, it was, well, this is a lower score. Why is this not a higher round rating? But you had explained it that it had, like you just said, more to do with it's course specific. So you might shoot a plus 12 on a really hard course and get a higher rating than you would shooting a minus nine. I mean, that was a 202. But if I shot a really good shot, a course, um, a really good round on an easy course, it wouldn't be as highly rated because it's an easy course. That's right. And I'm even finding too, yeah. Daryl, is as it as more now that they're providing these ratings and more rounds are being played and then rated. I've mm -hmm. noticed that even at my local course, I shot a minus one there and it was rated a 167 two weeks ago. And then I shot a minus one recently. And because there's been more rounds and more data, that minus yeah. one was actually rated 172. So I'm going to guess that probably at least for the next three months or more, maybe until we get into the spring, there's going to yeah. be this evening out um, set up. Because I know one of the things with UDISC is that people can go in and put in fake rounds if they wanted to, so they could be the top of the leaderboard. But if they're using a true bell curve or standard deviations in that, they can probably chop off those really, really low scores and those yeah. really, really high scores. Because assuming that maybe there is a valid one in there, but probably the majority of them are, are not correct and by taking those out you're going to get that big chunk in the middle and that's going to be what what's going to provide us with those round ratings yeah absolutely yeah that makes sense and i'm interested to see you know how it progresses like you said once it gets a bit more once they get all the, the scores registered to get all the data it's going to be uh, a more um accurate reflection once we get and i think like you said three months i would even go even as far as six months to a year um for us anyway because of the winter you know we're not going to get accurate scores reflected um and we may even see you know the fluctuations because somebody posting a minus one in december is not going to be the same as somebody posting a minus one in you know june or july that could be well i don't think that maybe comes into play yet but you're right they do have weather and those features and wind on you disc so knowing those okay. guys out there they you know they're processing data and munching data like nobody's business so they're right. going to have a, a lot of information there and i had heard on that podcast that i was referencing that 
part of it was that's why they brought the smart layouts in and really suggested people put smart layouts so that they could have each of those different types of rounds to have them specifically rated. And there's even a feature, and I've not played with it, but let's say you and I are playing Rundle, for example, where they have two different basket positions. And yeah. we find out that the layout that we're playing says the basket should be in the close position. We have the ability to edit it while we're playing and say, no, we didn't play the close position today. Oh, okay. It was in the far position. And the more people do that, whoever's interested in doing that, then the more accurate those results are going to be for those different layouts on the course. Right. I wasn't aware that it took into, um, you know, course conditions like wind and things like that and time of year. So if it, that, it could, I don't know if it does yeah. yet, but they'll have the ability to, if they want. To. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but this the one version, thing this, version, version 1.0. 1. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I understand too, is, you know, it's totally based on the score you shoot at that, round it's not based on hey you got a birdie on number hole number one and that's right. an easy hole so that's not as worth as much and i got a birdie on number two and that was a harder hole it's not that it's if you shot a minus one it doesn't matter how you got to that minus one that's what your round rating is going to be on but again like these guys they do so much work with data that eventually i'm sure those types of features will be added and this will just dial in more and more it's just another statistic some people may not care they may have fallen asleep by this point of us talking about it <laughs> but on the other side it's just another way to to show improvement and see how you're doing yeah it's it's another thing to to look at um it's another thing that you can um you know i don't know if you want to say you want to aim for anything it, it is what it is you you play the round and you know you get your round rating at the end of it uh, you know whereas when we shoot you know, you try and birdie every hole. You try and par. You know the holes that you're going to birdie. You know the holes that you're going to par and, and you feel happy with. You know, you're trying to lower your score. I think that is almost like real time because you can see the holes that you've birdied and, and parred and you know where your kind of score is. With the round rating, you kind of don't know. You don't get a real time update of that. You only get your round rating at the end. That's right. Well, and, so, and the other thing too is I found is that if we go out and we play a new course that we've never played before, yeah. we don't know what we should shoot on it. We can kind of get a feeling for how difficult it is and feel whether we played well or not. But I yeah. think, as I told you, I found that I'm kind of shooting in that 165 to 175 rated on multiple different courses. Yeah. I now know if I come off a course and I've shot a 185 rated round at that course, whether it's a minus seven or a plus 10, I know that for my skill set against that course, I'm playing at my ability or better than my ability. But right. uh, one other thing I wanted to add with that, that we even realized this morning with the, when we were, the course we were at, they had a short six hole round that you could do in case you, you played 18 holes and you just want to play six more holes. They had set up a, a course for that. But as you mentioned, that layout hadn't been played many times, so it might take longer right. for that layout. So if you've got multiple different layouts, the ones that are less common at your course, maybe the round ratings are going to take a little longer to catch up. But I got to kind of stop myself on the round ratings. I got off on a tangent there. The whole point about <laughs> me bringing them up was you've shot a 202. So between the two of us, 
That's the best either us have had is a round rating at the hills. So I'm right. going to put it out there to the listener group. Anybody who's listened to this, I don't care if you've caught this seven months after it came out or you're listening to it the week after, put it in the comments. Let us know if you shoot better than a 202 at the hills. Let us know. And uh, that that's the bar we're setting as the mid 40s <laughs> amateurs. <laughs> don't use me as a benchmark, but yeah. <laughs> Well, no, I, mean, I like it. That was only recently, so I, I don't know if, uh, if I shot a minus nine again. I don't. That'd be interesting to see if I went out there and shot a minus nine again, um, to see whether it would still be a, a 200, 202 rated, or whether because, like you said, the more data has come in that they realize that oh, quite a few people are shooting uh, minus fives, minus sevens, minus nines. Well, that's good for you, though, if it works that way, because it's just going to make it even harder for our listeners to get a 202 <laughs> or well, better. That's true. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, but I guess that kind of wraps it up on the hills. Um, there's not a lot much more to say about it. If you've not yeah. played it, I would suggest going out and giving it a try. Because this is the first course that we're reviewing in the podcast, and first one we're talking about, if we're putting together our top five courses, I guess this is number one, yeah. two, three, four, and five all at the same time. But for the time <laughs> being, the hills gets gets its day in the sun, and it's number one on my list and number yeah. one on yours as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't envision it being there very long, but at the moment, it's number one uh, on my list for sure. Well. I did have one other thing I wanted to talk about. I don't know where we are for time, but let's uh, cover it a bit. Is that being in the mid 40s, doing some of these courses, especially yeah. like the one we did today that has a lot of elevation up and down. Um, and you go out yeah. there and you play a couple rounds in a day. You've got 25. I've got a trooper. Uh, was it a disc mania? I think. Was that a disc mania? Maybe disc mania bag yeah. trooper. Yeah. And hold about 25 discs plus my, you know, disc retriever, my water bottle, a snack and some other things. It gets yeah. a little hard on the back. And I've been thinking about carts. And yeah. what I looked at, and I've seen some homemade carts. I've seen a lot of them out there. But the one that you hear over and over and over again is Zuka, right? That's what I hear. I see, I think it's a guy we know, Brock, who has one that's got the the bench seat on it so he'll sit on it when he's he's resting in that and yeah but i don't know if you've looked but the cost of azuka cart is like 350 bucks yeah. i think something like that more yeah yeah 400 to 500 i think yeah 500 the, yeah. even yeah depending on which one you're going for and what extras because you can buy the base model but then that just comes with, uh, from what I've researched on it, because I have done some research, I'm always looking at new gadgets and new things that I can get. And like you said, we're in that age range where, you know, every now and again, you just want, you know, maybe there isn't a chair or a bench on the tee pad. You're waiting for the, your your buddy to play or you've, as we experienced today, you know, there's some high elevation to the tee pads that we have to go to. So, you know, having a, a sit down or a rest every now and again, or even just not carrying the bag around with you for 18 holes. So that's I've what I think it. is not having um, it on my back. <laughs> yeah, but I know the Zuka ones in particular, you can buy the base cart, the shell, the wheels and a handle. 
and then you can buy the cushion top that goes on top. You can buy um, all-terrain wheels. You can buy like uh, airless wheels. You can buy a putter pouch. You can buy, you know, all sorts of uh, um, rain covers and things like that that goes on it. So yeah, you're you're talking anywhere between three to five hundred Canadian dollars, I would say. Well, so now I'm starting to think about it. And I've done a little research more too. And what I looked is there's yeah. a couple Facebook groups that are do-it-yourself golf carts, disc okay. golf carts. So you can actually, I've seen ones that have been built out of wood. There's a guy in town, Greg Gatsky, who's got a nice wooden one that he uses. He's kind of a local MPO player. Right. Um, I've seen people make them out of PVC tubing. <laughs> yeah. I've seen people take strollers, like running strollers that you'd put kids in and they've turned them yeah. in. Yeah. I've seen people take the, you know, ball golf bags that you'd have, those pull carts, and they've turned them into carts as well. So I've been yeah. thinking, but one of the things, which I don't know if everybody knows, and I just found this out, and hopefully I'm not going to spoil anything for us to take <laughs> advantage of these opportunities, but... Zuka does diff, disc golf carts. Did you know that they do carts for other sports as well? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. So if you, I'll tell you this, just throwing this out there, I won't make yeah. you hang out there for long, but they do carts for four different sports, disc golf being one of them. The other okay. sports, let's put, Two of them at least would be kind of unique, like disc golf, because disc golf's not mainstream as much as we think it. It's mainstream right. for us. It's not mainstream for everybody. But two of the sports are kind of newer, like that, or got newer um, attention since COVID. And one okay. of them is a sport that's been around. It's in the Olympics and everything else. So let me know if you can just throw some guesses. What do you think? You've totally thrown me for a loop because I can't think of anything. I mean, maybe because I've got the, the image of a cart with discs inside it. And obviously, we're not talking discs. We're talking another sport with another, you know, product inside it. But I don't. Yes. I'm just trying to think. I mean, ball golf would be the obvious choice. If, if it's to do with disc golf, you would think that they would make a pull cart for regular ball golf as well. Right. But that is not the case. It's more. It's and I'll not. tell you. Looking okay. at these well, carts, they still look very similar to disc golf carts, but they've just okay. like a Zuka cart, sorry. Yeah. Um, but they've just changed it and you can store different gear in it. So how you want one more guess or how long do you want me to leave you hanging out there? You want a clue oh, no, or you I, want? No, I like to guess. This is interesting. I, I, this may not be good content for anybody. Everybody's shouting at the uh, their radio or their radio. Sorry. They're, you know, their speakers <laughs> or they're watching it. They're shouting. Um, so it would be an individual sport that you would need to pull something that you would need multiple things of. My other tips to you or clues were that it's uh, the two of these sports have gained popularity since COVID. Since COVID. They're individual sports. I'll tell you that yeah. like you, you more so than a team sport as much. So, or maybe small team sport. Two Two of them are newer sports. One of them has been around for a while. It's in the Olympics. Yes, that's right. And, the, and what I mean by newer sports is, you know how when COVID hit, disc golf got increased popularity. 
That's yeah. what I mean. So these sports, yeah. these other ones may have been around, but they got increased popularity during COVID. Right. <laughs> this is interesting because I haven't got a clue. I'm just trying to think of things that people would have been, you know, would have seen an uptake in. Well, what I'll keep doing is you keep pondering. I'll keep just throwing out little ones there so that we can move it along. But I'll say, yeah, one of these obscure more or kind of COVID popularity courses involves yeah. a racket. A racket. I mean, the one that I'm thinking of now that you said a racket, but I can't see. So the only thing I can think of right now is pickleball. You've got it. There's one. So they make <laughs> carts for pickleball. Pickleball. Why would they need a cart for pickleball? I guess for rackets, balls. I don't know. That's what See, it is. Maybe that's where my mind is going because I'm thinking somewhere where you have to walk distances and over <laughs> terrain and you're pulling something behind you. But that wouldn't, you know, okay, pickleball. Well, if that's the way we're going then, I'm thinking yep. another sport that's, oh. Um, obscure and gained popularity during covid actually this other one really exploded in the fact that it's been televised which makes me laugh that it's been televised in the u.s and you've played it probably at a barbecue before i'm sure or at a picnic something like that <laughs> see now i'm thinking <laughs> i don't want to say because it sounds ridiculous but pickleball was correct so now you say that and I, I hear it mentioned all the time now, and it seems to be more and more popular, but cornhole? Yes. <laughs> yes. Zuka makes a cart for cornhole. <laughs> That's hilarious. Why do you need... <laughs> I don't know. Carry your beanbags in, I guess. Carry your beanbags? <laughs> you, I don't know if you have well, a special I mean... beanbag or... Yeah, I mean, if there's a need for it, if there's a market, good on them for, you know, marketing it to the people that will buy a Zuka cart to carry your beanbags. That's hilarious. Yeah, maybe I, I don't know if it's got a cooler in it for your beer, because I'm expecting that might be what's needed. <laughs> yeah. And then the other um, one they make it is for beer pong. I don't know. I, like, oh, no. Remember the other ones in the Olympics, right? I know. So, yeah. So it's yeah, the, the Olympics. It's... Um, is it an outdoor sport? No, it would be indoor. It would be related in the fact uh, to a Canadian side of it and the fact that, let's say, hockey players, this would be a giveaway one, hockey players use one of the pieces of equipment that these athletes use. Yeah, well, when you said an indoor and it's in the Olympic, oh, I don't know. But you said Canadian, so the only thing that I'm thinking of is, is lacrosse. Uh, no, but think about on the, well, I guess hockey and lacrosse share a stick, but let's look a little lower the, on the, the player. The, padding. the ice skates. Yep. You're on the right track. So speed skating or figure skating? You got it. Figure skating. So that's the uh, fourth one that they make a cart for. But the figure skating one makes sense when you see it, because again, they use the bench concept it's a place to put your skates in, right. and then it's a place you can sit down to put your skates on. I guess that's a bit of a stretch, <laughs> but I okay, it's a portable chair. Yes, with storage. exactly, with yeah, storage. Okay, 
Yeah. And on top of that, they kind of, when I was looking at it, and I'm going to get to a point with this. I thought this was just entertaining yeah. knowledge that I found no, out about absolutely. Zuka. But, yeah, but the, Jeremy's the, trivia. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> with the ice skating ones too, is they put like rollerblade type wheels on it. So it's more like a piece of luggage when you're pulling it, but it still has that same metal Zuka frame, right? Like it still yeah. has that that solid thing. Um, but yeah. they'll put... They'll put uh, clear rollerblade style wheels on it and they'll have them light up because I think it might be focused towards kids. The bags that they put yeah. on them will be quite colorful and and that kind of thing. And they and they store their skates in there and whatever else it is that they, they might need. Um, but when I was looking at those do-it-yourself carts, I found a guy who took one of the figure skating carts and yeah. bought a used one because there's a lot of them out there and okay. bought a used one because I'm I'm guessing like I can tell you from my own personal knowledge, um, I there's a family member, family friend, that kind of thing, whose daughter was in figure skating. And I was told that when they get up quite high, you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars a year to be in figure skating if you're trying to reach the pinnacle and be in yeah. the Olympics and that it, it's a very expensive sport to be in so i could yeah. see kids starting out young and it's maybe more cost effective to get into a kid gets a zuka cart that's part of of what it is and now yeah. they realize they're not going to reach that goal and there's or there's not the funds to be in it this cart yeah. is now an extra thing and it's for sale so this guy found himself a used zuka cart at a really reasonable price yeah. And then he modded it, changed the wheels to an all-terrain wheel, extended the handle, did all of right. that. So my thought was, is I think we should look into this a little bit further and hopefully nobody scoops up all the used Zuka figure skating carts on us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, That's... and maybe for, you know, 100, 100 bucks or 150 bucks, we can build our own Zuka cart that would normally cost 500 but because we've got the bones, that frame of the cart, yeah, it's up to us after that. Yeah, and I mean that's the good thing about those Yuka carts is the fact that they're modular. Like you can change out the wheels, you can replace the handle, you can replace the, you know the individual parts on it. Um, you know, and good on them for realizing that you know we've got the chassis, just like a lot of car manufacturers, right? You know, you get your um, your Honda Pilot, your Ridgeline, your truck is basically a pilot chassis with the extra stuff built on top of it you know they've got the the zuka cart they've got the body let's see how we can modify this by modifying a few elements to to market it to a different sport so well and yeah. as we've seen if it's ice skating disc golf pickleball cornhole heck maybe darts is next who knows <laughs> yeah Beer pong. Got yeah, beer, beer pong, tiddlywinks, you name it. You know, you don't give Zuka too many uh, um, ideas. Yeah, we have to say not a sponsor, <laughs> but maybe after all this advertising, we're giving them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're going to link them in the description, Zuka, if you're listening out there. If you if this reaches you. Yeah, you can save time. us some work. We won't have to build our <laughs> figure skating disc golf carts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll take your used, we'll take your used, uh, you know, manufacturer defect returns or you know for your uh, cornhole carts. We'll uh, we'll convert them and we'll repurpose them for sure. Exactly. Well, I don't know, Daryl. That's kind of just something I thought was interesting, and 
I think we've been yeah. talking here for over an hour. We could probably get this thing coming to a close for the first podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing up. You know, it's definitely an interesting fact, and I would never have put those sports together with Zuka. You know, I never even dreamed that they would even need a cart, let alone uh, that they're, you know, they have their own models and, and uh, designs for specifically for those sports. So, yeah, it was interesting. Well, maybe too, and uh, no guarantees with this as we're still developing, but if we do put together a card or we do something like that, keep an eye on our socials. And this is kind of a segue or a lead in to, to your side here, but we have set up social accounts. Um, we're not as active as we'd like to be yet, but again, that's part of the process and part of the goal. So keep an eye out. And if we do something like that, we'll we'll put it in our socials. But why don't you let them, everybody know about our socials, the Chain Out podcast, but also maybe drop in your DJ socials as well so that our listeners can check out some other content if they want to as well. Yeah, like you said, uh, we have a few set up. Um, the main one probably where you're watching this or, or um, taking it in would be on YouTube. So Chain Out podcast on, on YouTube, Chain Out podcast on uh, Twitter and TikTok. On Instagram, it is chainout underscore podcast. Um, and we're in the works. We haven't finally, we haven't decided exactly uh, how we're going to put out the audio version. We may just put out an audio version on YouTube, but uh, we're working on getting it on Spotify as well. And then how about, all, the link, uh... all the links will be in the description for the Chain Out podcast. And personally, yeah, as I already mentioned, uh, anywhere, YouTube and Instagram, DJ Disc Golf. Yeah, well, thanks for listening to us, guys. I'm a bit of a cheese ball and stuff, so I've been trying to think of a nice tagline for the end <laughs> of the podcast. Daryl's heard me say this one before, but it's kind of, instead of my peace out, it'll be, chain out! <laughs> it works. I like it. Let's stick yeah. with it. Okay. Until next time, Daryl. Catch you, Daryl. Nice one, thanks.